went to breakfast at Chambord with or without an appetite, and the city of Blois heard no more of its sovereign lord and master till the next hawking day. So much for the ennui extramuros. Of the ennui of the interior we will give the reader an idea, if he will with us follow the cavalcade to the majestic porch of the castle of the States. Monsieur rode a little, steady-paced horse, equipped with a large saddle of red Flemish velvet, with stirrups in the shape of buskins. The horse was of a bay colour. Monsieur's doublet of crimson velvet corresponded with the cloak of the same shade, and the horse's equipment, and it was only by this red appearance of the whole that the prince could be known from his two companions, the one dressed in violet, the other in green. He on the left in violet was his equerry. He on the right, in green, was the master of the royal hunt. One of the pages carried two jafalcons upon a perch, the other a hunting-horn, which he blew with a careless note at twenty paces from the castle. Every one about this listless prince did what he had to do, listlessly. At this signal eight guards who were lounging in the sun in the square court ran to their halberds, and Monsieur made his solemn entry into the castle. When he had disappeared under the shades of the porch, Three or four idlers, who had followed the cavalcade to the castle after pointing out the hanging birds to each other, dispersed with comments upon what they saw, and when they were gone, the street, the place, and the court all remained deserted. Monsieur dismounted without speaking a word, went straight to his apartments, where his valet changed his dress, and as Madame had not yet sent orders respecting breakfast, Monsieur stretched himself upon a chaise longue and was soon as fast asleep as if it had been eleven o'clock at night. The eight guards who concluded their service for the day was over laid themselves down very comfortably in the sun upon some stone benches. The grooms disappeared with their horses into the stables, and, with the exception of a few joyous birds startling each other with their sharp chirping in the tufted shrubberies, it might have been thought that the whole castle was as soundly asleep as Monsieur was. All at once, in the midst of this delicious silence, there resounded a clear, ringing laugh which caused several of the halberdiers, in the enjoyment of their siesta, to open at least one eye. This burst of laughter proceeded from a window of the castle, visited at this moment by the sun, that embraced it in one of those large angles which the profiles of the chimneys mark out upon the walls before midday. The little balcony of wrought iron which advanced in front of this window was furnished with a pot of red gilly-flowers, another pot of primroses, and an early rose-tree, the foliage of which, beautifully green, was variegated with numerous red specks, announcing future roses. In the chamber lighted by this window was a square table, covered with an old, large-flowered Harlem tapestry. In the centre of this table was a long-necked stone bottle, in which were irises and lilies of the valley. At each end of this table was a young girl. The position of these two young people was singular. They might have been taken for two boarders escaped from a convent. One of them, with both elbows on the table and a pen in her hand, was tracing characters upon a sheet of fine Dutch paper, the other kneeling upon a chair which allowed her to advance her head and bust over the back of it to the middle of the table, was watching her companion as she wrote, or rather hesitated to write. Thence the thousand cries, the thousand railleries, the thousand laughs, one of which, more brilliant than the rest, had startled the birds in the gardens, 
and disturbed the slumbers of Monsieur's guards. We are taking portraits now. We shall be allowed, therefore, we hope, to sketch the final two of this chapter. The one who was leaning in the chair, that is to say, the joyous, the laughing one, was a beautiful girl of from eighteen to twenty, with brown complexion and brown hair, splendid, from eyes which sparkled beneath strongly marked brows, and particularly from her teeth, which seemed to shine like pearls between her red coral lips. Her every movement seemed the accent of a sunny nature. She did not walk. She bounded. The other, she who was writing, looked at her turbulent companion with an eye as limpid, as pure, and as blue as the azure of the day. Her hair of a shaded fairness, arranged with exquisite taste, fell in silky curls over her lovely mantling cheeks.